Welcome. My name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. It's a joy to welcome all of you and also to welcome those of you who are joining us online. It's good for us to gather together here. And I just want to say I have a son who lives in Colorado and Daniel, the weather is terrible. It's just, and it's flat everywhere. There's nothing beautiful out there. Anyway, no, we'll all be praying about that. So we're going to continue to take a look at the Ten Commandments this morning. And just again to remind all of us, because we need to remember this again and again and again, these, these commandments were not given to God by God to his people in order that we might say, well, if we do this right, then God will love us. No. No, they're not there to get God to love us. God already loves us. He sets us free through Jesus Christ. And these are here so that we can live in freedom. For the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they were rescued from slavery, and then they were able to live in freedom. And, and that's what this, these Ten Commandments are all about. Not about trying to get God's favor, but living in the joy and the fullness of life that we really all seek to live in. Last week, we talked about the first commandment. And the first four all deal with our relationship with God, we said. In the first commandment, it said, don't have any other gods before me. No other gods before God. And we said that there was a, a place in our hearts, the deepest place, the highest place, the place of the, the deepest love we can have, the deepest trust we can have. There's a place in our heart that belongs to God and God alone. And, and, and we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. No other gods before God. Our God. Now we come to the second commandment. It's found in Exodus 20, verses 4 to 6. This is what God says. You shall not make for yourself an image, and older translations or different translations often have idol there, in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we look at the second commandment today, and, and we're going to do what we did last week with this commandment. We're going to ask, first of all, what is it calling us to, right? What, what, what are we supposed to do or think or believe because of this commandment? And then we'll go on to why did God give us this commandment? How does it set us free? And then finally, we'll ask, all right, how do we grow in keeping this commandment? What, why, how, all right? So if we look at the commandment, it's basically in verse four, the first part of verse five, uh, this is what it says. It, the command part of it says, you shall not make for yourself an image or an idol in the form of anything that is in the heavens above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below, and you shall not bow down to them or worship them. So we're talking about a couple of key things here, images, idols, and we're talking about worship, bowing down and worship. And so at, at its highest level, and what we're going to discover with this commandment, you're going to have to stick with me because this is a commandment. First level is going to be easy. Second level is going to be pretty easy. Third level is where we're going to have to think and, and, and ask some pretty tough questions of ourselves. So what is this commandment calling us to do? At the most basic level, it says we must not worship images. We must not worship idols. And as I say, for many of us, it's kind of like, okay, that's a check mark. This is an easy one. Let's just focus on the second commandment because I can do this. I've never been tempted to worship an idol. I've never been tempted to bow down, to burn incense to an image. I've, I, I, so this one is an easy one. But it wasn't so easy for the people of Israel, all right? It wasn't easy for them because they just come out of Egypt and Egypt had more than 2,000 gods and every one of those gods had idols that were big and some that were house idols, some that were... And so they were in this culture where that's what they said. How do you worship? You go and you find the idol and you offer incense or you worship that idol. And so, you know, they would have been surrounded by idols like Hathor, who is the, the god of mothers 
or Horus, who is the god of the skies, or Amun-Ra, the god of, well, he was the supreme deity. He is the god of all creation. And if you don't think, this is in Luxor, it's an amazing thing, I was there. If you don't think that those statues are big, notice the people who are there. All right? And so Israel had been in Egypt. The the people of God had been in Egypt. They'd seen all this stuff. They'd had all this stuff going on. And and so God says, look, don't use images. Don't worship idols. Don't do that. Okay, great. Important for them, but not so important for us. Well, not so fast, my friends. Let's go to a little bit deeper first. We'll go to kind of the second level here. And and one of the things that makes this commandment interesting... And this is the, the most common interpretation I've seen. So this is not just me. But it, it's Heidelberg Catechism. It's all those things. But, but we need to recognize that this commandment is not about worshiping the wrong God. In, in this commandment, God isn't saying, don't bow down to Hathor or don't bow down to, to, to Amun-Ra. It, it, no. That, that's the first commandment, okay? That's the commandment that says, you shall have no other gods before me. So what God is saying in this commandment, this commandment is about worshiping the right God in the right way. Okay, and, 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 and so when we talk about this, when we talk about idols and images and bowing down and worshiping them, we're not just saying we must not get use, uh, we must, must not worship images, idols of false gods. God is saying we must not worship images or idols even if they represent the true God. Okay, what we're talking about is time of worship, right? We just did some of that. We're in it right now. And, and what God is saying in this commandment, at, again, a second level, is don't use idols. Don't worship them in the place of me. Don't, even if they represent me, even if they're supposed to be my presence there, don't bow down to those things. Don't allow those things to take my place. This was actually one of the first commandments that Israel broke. Some of you are familiar with the story in Exodus 32. Moses is up on the mountain with God. Exodus 20 is the, te- uh, the Ten Commandments. Moses is up on the mountain with God, and he's gone for 40 days. And, and, and we're going to you just got to accept this is true because you know this is true. It's, it's hard to worship an invisible God. So they've never seen God. They've, they've seen the lightning. They've heard the thunder. They've done all this, but they've never seen God. Moses has now been gone for 40 days. So they say to Aaron, they say, can you give us something we can see? <laughs> can you give us something we can focus on? It's not easy to worship an invisible God. So can you give us something? And so you may know the story. Aaron says, all right, give me your earrings. Give me your rings. Give me a lot of gold. And he fashions out this golden calf, right? Now, this golden calf was not one of the Egyptian gods. This golden calf was to represent the true God. Look at what it says. This is your God, O Israel, Aaron says, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Just like with the beginning of the Ten Commandments, right? And so this was not, and they knew this was not God. This was just a representative of God. But they worshiped it, and God was not pleased. And and, and so at a deeper level, we must see that we must not worship images, idols, even if they represent the true, true God. But again, pretty easy for all of us, I think, right? I don't know of any of you who have little shrines at home with statues. We might worry about some Christians who get a little too comfortable with images and statues. They, they kind of bow down to them, it looks like to us, and it seems like they might be worshiping. But for us, there's no idol here. There's no image that I'm going to ask you to to worship here. I'm not going to say this is God, and so just focus on this and and worship this. It it represents God. So here's where it hits us, though. Third level. And this is, I think, hugely important for us. 
Because God wants us to worship him in his fullness. That's what this commandment is about. And what we have to think about is what about Christian images or Christian symbols and our mental images, our pictures of God. Because you see, sometimes those things, our good Christian symbols and our mental images can become idols, can become to begin to, to function like idols. Let me, let me show you what I mean here. I'll give you some examples. So again, as I said, it's really hard to worship an invisible God. If I, I asked you to close your eyes and pray, almost all of you are going to say, okay, but I need some, I'll get a picture of God the Father sitting on the throne, right? We have that mental image. I, 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 it's almost, it's so difficult for us. God knows it. So we get something. We get a thing, we get an idea, we get an image that can help us focus our attention and remind us of God. It is not God. We don't worship it. It just points us to God. I do this, okay? I, I do this, and I, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to stop. If you want to challenge me on it, then maybe I'll pray about it, think about it, maybe I'll stop. But, but you know, when I think about Christian symbols, I just grabbed a couple of things out of my office. This sits in my office, all right? It's a rock with a cross on it. And, and, and it sits there, and when I see it, it reminds me that God is my rock. It's just a really helpful thing, right? I've given these out to a number of folks. We gave them out to a lot. But it just reminds me that God is my rock. That's not a problem, I don't think. It's just a, because I, I, I need to be reminded of it. I, I need it. It's so hard for some, I mean, we were created to touch and feel and see and all these things and taste and, and to say, well, God is invisible, so just nothing. Just focus on nothing but pray. <sighs> I need help. And so I have this to remind me. I have this, a lantern, to remind me that Jesus is the light of the world. It's in my office all the time. It makes me also think about the word of God that's a light to my feet, right? A lamp to my path, a light to my feet. And so I have this, and I use it, and it reminds me. I, I, I don't worship it. I've never said, oh, lamp, do something for me. Oh, God of the light, do something for me. I've never done that. One more, and I don't have this, and I'll explain why I don't, and, and I, if you have one of these, I'll ask you to think about it. But there is a picture of Jesus that is, I, I don't know, again, it's, it's prominent. This picture has been copied or reproduced over 500 million times. That's a lot of pictures of Jesus. And, and, and so people have this in their homes to say Jesus is with us. Jesus is there. They don't build a shrine and worship it, but they say Jesus is there, right? So we, we get something that can help us with this. And, and again, I don't think this is necessarily outside of what God wants because when I, when I say God is my rock, I'm quoting Psalm 18. When I say Jesus is the light of the world, I'm, I'm quoting John 8 verse 12, right? I mean, I'm, I'm quoting, these are scriptural image. God himself gives us these images, Right? Jesus, and, and, and God became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt, us among, dwelt among us. And so God has given us these images of himself. Jesus is the ultimate image of God, right? And so we get something, and, 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 and that's our intention. But, but here's what we want to think about, what I, I want to challenge you to think about and focus on today, is, is those images can slide, and they can gradually start to do the damage that idols do. They can actually start to cause the problems that the idols cause. 
What are those problems? Well, good question. Let's go on to the next one. Why? What's the problem with this? Why, why, how could this thing become a problem? It's a, a rock with a cross on it. I mean, come on, every Christian ought to have one of these, and I can carry it around, and I can remember that God is my rock, and Jesus died on the cross. Why does God give us this commandment? Two reasons that I want to give you. The first one is, and, and this is about what the problem with idolatry is and the danger of our symbols, okay? The danger of these things and all of this is that our, our idols or symbols, images, can put God in a box. We get an image of God and we say, that's who God is, and we limit God to that. We, we make God that size, and, 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 and it just becomes a problem. Maybe you've had somebody put you in a box. People find out I'm a pastor, <laughs> And, and they put me in a box. If people find out who you voted for, there's a chance they might put you in a box. Well, if you voted for so-and-so, then you're this, 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 and this. If you voted for the other guy, you're this, 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 and this, right? We take one piece of information and we say, that's everything. Now I know everything there is. And the danger of all of these images is that, is that we, can, we can do that with God. We can put God in a box. We can put God under our control. And, and God says, no, I'm free. I'm bigger than any image. I'm bigger than any box. I'm bigger than you can imagine, and you need me to be me. There are several ways this plays out. I mean, part of it is that no image can capture all that God is, right? I mean, we have these images. Yes, God is a rock, but he's not just a rock, Okay. And, 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 and so, yeah, God is a lion. And, and, and again, you might have a favorite one of these. Uh, maybe it's that God is a lion. Maybe it's that God is a lamb. Maybe it's that God is a rock. The Bible said God's like a husband. That might be hard for some of you to imagine, but that's another matter. The Bible says God is like a mother, like a mother hand gathering up her chicks. And, and that image is one of the images of God to picture God that way. And again, the Bible teaches us that. God is a warrior. Some of us say, no, 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 no. God is not a warrior anymore. After we've seen Jesus, he's not a warrior. He's a peacemaker. He's a pruner. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody have a pair of pruning shears out to help them in their devotions and in their worship to, to remind them that John 15, Jesus says, you know what the Father does? He loves you so much, he's going to cut off what's, what's, what's wrong. He's, he's going to prune away some of the... I don't really like that image of God. I don't want God to prune me. I want God to just bless me. I want God to make me comfortable. I want God to, to love me. He's a, he's a servant, but he's a judge. Well, I don't like that image of God because I, I, mean, I don't like people who judge. Jesus said don't judge, so I'm sure God won't judge either. Everybody's just fine. He's the king. And none of these images... None of these images capture all that God is. And, and, and let me try to get specific about one of the dangers of this. If you ever catch yourself saying or thinking, well, my God would never do that, watch out, <laughs> because your image of God might have just become an idol. I, I, my God would never judge that person. Take the image, again, it's a beautiful biblical image, John um, chapter 8, uh, the woman who's caught in adultery and is brought to Jesus, and the Pharisees say to Jesus, you know, she, the law says that she should be stoned. What are you going to do? You're going to go against God's law? And again, Jesus brilliantly says, well, let the one of you who has never sinned cast the first stone. And they'll drop their stones. See, my God would never judge anybody. My God would never say... But we have the image of Jesus saying to the same woman, go and sin no more. 
Do we have the image of Jesus throwing over the tables in the temple? Right? When, when we limit my God would never do this, then your God is too small. A decent chance your God is too small and you have put him in a box and you're trying to control him. No image captures all of God. And, and that's why we got to think about that and I'll talk about how we might do that when we get to the third question. Second way that this is kind of happens that we put God in a box is that images, and, and here I'm talking about especially images of God, tend to be limited to, limited to one ethnic group. For me, this is one of the main reasons why I struggle with this picture. This is white Jesus. But what about black Jesus? See, that first picture has done a lot to tell people of other races and other, other ethnic groups that well, Jesus is the God of white people because that's what he looks like. I, we don't know, but I'm pretty sure it's not like that. Black Jesus might be closer. What about Chinese Jesus, Asian Jesus? What about Latino Jesus? Or what about good old Middle Eastern Jewish Jesus? Maybe the most accurate. But you see, as soon as we start to do this, we start to limit God. We start to limit, and, and we send a message about, about who fits, right? About who belongs to who, and about who this is the God of. And, 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 and that's why I say, if you have that first picture, I'm not going to say you've got to take it down, but be really careful. Because it can be communicating to you and to others. Jesus is just a good white Western European. And he's not. He is the God of all nations. He is the Savior of the world. And we need to be really careful about, about limiting Jesus to one ethnic group. Our images can do that. Third thing that kind of supports this is images can be limited to one space, one of the dangers here. And, and so my rock is in my office. And on the one hand, you say, oh, that doesn't make any difference. If, if somehow I've always felt closest to God when I'm praying holding this rock, well, then that's where God tends to live. And I tend to say, I can't pray as well out here. I need to get to my office. Some of us have prayer places, and they can be beautiful, and they can be wonderful. But the danger is, is we say, well, that's where God is. And, and we limit him to that place, and he's not all over. That's what the idols of Egypt did. It was like, God is here, good. So if I'm over there, I can get away from him, or I, I, if I need him, he's not over there. And so images can kind of say, well, now this is where God is. And, and that's why, again, now mental images don't have as much danger that, but, but be aware that the way you treat your images can limit God in that way. And then images can give us the sense that we can manipulate God. If God is in a box, then I can maybe control him. Then maybe I can get him. And let me give you an example uh, from a number of years ago. I did a, a chapel at a middle school, local Christian middle school here. And um, I, the night before, I went out in the backyard and I found like 150 rocks. And I wrote on all of them, God is my rock. That's what I talked about. And I wanted them all to have one of these when they walked out. Okay, and so they did, and it was like, all right, this is a great reminder. They've got this rock. Yeah, they could put it in their locker, and when they see it, they remember, God is my rock. doesn't matter that I lost kickball for the 87th time in a row or whatever, but God is my rock. By the end of that day, I had teachers telling me there were kids who were taking their tests and had their rock there, and they would rub it between questions. 
God, you are my rock, and maybe a way to an easy answer. Now you say that's nuts, but we can do those sorts of things. Like I say, if I'm doing this and I'm praying and I'm feeling especially close to God, and, and, and maybe I start to say, well, it feels like when I do this, the more prayers get answered. And I can say, okay, God, I did all the right things. See, that's what idols were really all about in that culture, in, in Egypt and so on. It was about saying, okay, you had the idol, I do X, Y, Z, God has to do A, B, C. We're not necessarily going to be that crass, but God, I prayed this, I did this, I sent my kids to this school, I did everything I was supposed to do. How did they turn out this way? God, this is not the deal we had. And we end up manipulating God. We end up, and it's just, it's dangerous. So that's that, that whole first one of, of just our idols can, and images can, can put God in a box. I love what A.W. Tozer, a, a Christian um, who's passed away now, but, but he said this. He said, left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. Right? I don't like a God who is free. <laughs> I don't like a God who is not safe. I want God comfortable manageable. I want to know exactly how it's going to go. I want to know what he's going to think in every situation, what he's going to do in every situation. I want God to be manageable. We want to get him where we can use him. Or this, this is a great line. Or at least know where he is when we need him. Right? <laughs> we want God. And, and, and that's why these things are, they, they, they move from just pointing us to God and bringing us and reminding us of God to being the place where God is. I need, I need to know that we want a God we can in some measure control. And, 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 and that's where God says, no, we need more than a God in a box. That's why this commandment is so important to us. And, and at the heart of it is just don't ever limit God. Don't let your, your images limit God. Don't let your, your scripture reading limit God. Don't let our thinking about God here. I try to do it. I, 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 again, I encourage the elders to, are we giving in our sermons here a full picture of God? Or are we only focusing on one part of God? If we're doing that, then we're using idols. So then we're in the danger of, of just limiting God. And, and, and so we need more than God in a box. And God wants us to have that. God wants us to have all of him. He says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God is jealous for us, not because he feels bad when we, when we don't see all of him or worship all of him when we put him in a box because he knows he's not in a box. He doesn't feel bad for himself. He feels bad for us. He's jealous because he knows the only way we can run is, is on a fullness God, a God who is, who is just all that he is. He is lion and lamb. He is king and he is servant. He is all of those things. We need more than a God in the box. The second reason, and, and again, the commandment mentions this, and, and it's an interesting thing. Um, it could have been mentioned in some ways after, after any of the commandments. But we pass on our idols, our symbols, our images to our children and our grandchildren. Don't do this because your kids are watching you. Your grandkids are watching you. And if you put God in a box, they're going to put God in a box. He goes on, he says this, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. That's not like, well, you're guilty, so I'm just going to radically, you know, I'm just going to randomly punish your grandkid who did nothing. No, it, it's, it's clear, clear in the Hebrew, but it's, it's your grandkid's going to follow in your steps and they're going to walk away from me. They're going to walk away from me. 
But if you do the opposite, if you, if you worship God in spirit and truth, if you let God be God, if you let him be radical, powerful, changing us, if you let him be all that he is, showing love to, God says, I'm showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so we put God in a box, but we also pass on our idols to our grandkids, to our kids, to our great-grandkids. God says, you don't want to destroy him. So what do we do about it? How can we grow in keeping this commandment? Three things I want to suggest. First one is this. I just encourage you, and you may have been doing it already, but do an inventory of the Christian symbols, images that you use. And it's interesting to look at the church in this because there are radically different answers among churches and traditions. There are some churches and Christians and traditions that have no Christian symbols at all, okay? They have none at all. This is from a Quaker's uh, friends in Pennsylvania. It's a Christian church. No cross, no, no symbol, no dove. They would say any of that is a violation of the second commandment. And we don't want to get near violating that. And so when you go in, it's just this. If you say, well, that's just old-fashioned, they got electric lights. Okay, this is used. And, and there are churches, other traditions that do this. They say, you know what, it's too dangerous. When we have that there, somehow we begin to worship that thing. Somehow that thing begins to limit God, that image, whatever it is. So there are some that go this way and some that go to the other extreme. If you've ever been in an Eastern Orthodox church, you might see something like this. And it's filled with images and it's filled with icons and it's filled with smells and incense. And you touch and you taste and they kiss these things. Again, they would say, we're not worshiping them. We're worshiping the God whom these things point to. But God allows us to have these things so that they point us to God, so that we can feel God, so that we can know that God is real, so that we can do this. And in homes like this, in homes of the first one, you're not going to find pictures of, of any religious symbols either. A number of those first ones, actually, um, you might not find any images at all, no pictures, even of, of cats and dogs. In these homes, you'll find icons like this. Mary, whose heart was pierced. Mary and Jesus, Jesus. Some have a lot, some have a little. What's the right amount? That's where you got to do an inventory check. Ask yourself honestly. Obviously here, we've got a cross. There's a cross that's built into the building there. So we have some. But we're pretty minimal. Pretty minimal. Should we have more? Some of you would like us to have more, right? It would be to... to, to uh, but for you personally, where are you? What about your home? What about the images and your mental images? A lot of them, few of them, none of them. Do an inventory. Be very careful in that inventory about any human pictures of God. Right? Because once we've done that, we start to limit God. This is why I am much more comfortable with a cross, like we have here, than some church traditions have what's called a crucifix, with Jesus hanging on the cross. I'm, I, there are other reasons Jesus is no longer on the cross, but, but it's also... Now all of a sudden I, I'm looking at it and saying, so that's what Jesus looks like. And I'm, I'm wary of those. I, I, I can understand why people say, yeah, I need to remember that he suffered for me. 
but I get nervous. I'll just put it at least that way. This is why during our series on Revelation, when we talked about the holiness of God and the worship of God in heaven, this is the image I was most comfortable with because I didn't want anything that kind of gave you an idea of, yep, he does or doesn't have a beard. Right? I mean, God, when he sits on his throne, right? does he or doesn't he have the beard? I, I, I mean, I'd like to know, but we're not told. We don't know. And, and, and so he's, we just know he's holy and beautiful and gorgeous in all of this. And so we have to be really careful about human pictures of God. I'd encourage you to spend some time asking if any of the symbols that we use accurately, if, if the symbols that we use accurately represent what it's supposed to represent. Here's an example of, and again, I, I'm not sure exactly I can tell you what is and isn't. I can tell you where I get nervous. A cross. This is a piece of jewelry, but it's pretty ornate, and it's gold. And I sometimes wonder. On the one hand, I can say, yes, the cross is beautiful, right? Because there Jesus died. But I mean, it's like an electric chair. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm nervous when we make crosses too beautiful, but that strikes me that way. I can't necessarily decide for you. This banner this is one I like. The Holy Spirit is a dove. We get the red fire, Holy Spirit there. And this one, I, I think it represents well. This one is one you might not have seen. It's a Celtic trinity. And it's, um, again, you've got kind of three parts, yet it's really one line. Um, I kind of like that. I, th I think it can help me. I don't think it's going to push me to picture God in unhealthy ways. You've got to ask for yourself. I, again, I don't know for sure. But, but do, what, do they represent it? Do, do, they, do they genuinely help us to think about the true God? Do they, do they give an accurate, or do we, do we again, does a, does a golden cross make it a little too comfortable? Ask if it accurately represents. All right. And then last one here, have a variety of symbols, if, if we have any. But if you have the lion, have the lamb. If you have the holiness of God, have Jesus washing feet. And I did make sure not to get a face there. I think hands are okay. I tried to make them as neutral as I could in color. I darkened them up from the other way. Right. I, mean, I worry about I think about these things because as soon as we start to do this, we start to say, okay, well, then now I know what Jesus' hands look like. Well, they were hands, and so yes, we can know that, but they weren't Dutch hands. So have a variety of symbols if we have anyway. Anyway, so, so do an inventory. Okay, the next two are going to be quick, and then, and then we'll wrap it up here. The, the second thing is, is ask ourselves, just if we're using any of these symbols or images to try to manipulate God, if you have those things and they're meaningful to you, ask, okay, but am I still allowing God to speak and be who he is? Has it become manipulation? Has it become, I, I, again, I, I don't think this rock has for me because I still keep it and I'm going to put it back on my desk. I, I don't think this has. But just ask yourself, have you found yourself saying, well, my God would never. Have you found yourself saying, I, I really only pray well in this place. Maybe we got to ask. And then finally, let the Bible give us a better and fuller picture of God. Read all parts of the Bible. Get all the images. Let God be God. And he has shown us who he is and the safest thing to do. And that's why I say in preaching and whatever, we're going to try to do our best to represent the fullness of God. 
So those three things I'd encourage you to do. Do an inventory. Ask ourselves if we're using any symbols uh, to try to manipulate God and then let God give us a better place. All right? Wrap it up with this. Friends, don't put God in a box. Because <laughs> then he's not God any longer. And he becomes something else. We need the real God to save us and make us new. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you've given us images because it's really hard to just try to imagine you not as a father, not as a servant, to just imagine emptiness. Father, where these images have come to limit you, to replace you, convict us, and let us never put you in a box. God, there's a part of us that wants to. We're scared of what you could do if you really have control of our lives. But Father, what you want for us is the adventure of a lifetime. You want true life. You only want to prune away what is dead. So have your way in us. Be the God who makes all things new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.